On Full Service Radio, 830 WCRM. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Welcome to I Communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman, and uh, happy to be with you. And, uh, boy, I was thinking the other day about mindfulness and self-awareness. And I thought to myself, man, it's a lot of work. And I actually took five minutes to self-reflect. And I thought, what are all the things that I make the effort to be mindful and self-aware of over the course of a given day? You ready for this list? The food that I eat, what I have to drink, how much activity I'm getting over the course of the day, making sure I'm getting enough sleep and I'm setting myself up to get good sleep making sure I'm listening to understand and validating people's point of view, being mindful that my body language is positive and supportive, setting an example for my kids, setting an example and modeling for the people that work for me, and how I'm responding to situations and being aware of my triggers. I mean, holy smokes. I mean, I just rattled off 10 things that I make an effort on a given day to be mindful and self-aware of. And, you know, I, I start the show this way because it is a commitment. It is growth. It is discipline. And it's not about perfection, right? Because there's so many opportunities on a given day to miss an opportunity to be mindful. We're human. We make mistakes. We have our moments. We overreact. We don't react and show up the way we'd like to show up every single opportunity we have. And I've been thinking about this because it's a core value and it's a passion of mine to be my best self for the people in my life, whether it be professionally, personally, my clients, my employees, my girlfriend, my children, my immediate family, you name it. And so I study this stuff a lot because if I'm going to be the best trainer and coach, you know, I like to expand my knowledge base. And so I recently read this book. It's called You Can Change Other People. And it was described to me by a CEO of a client I'm working with. And I love the name, right? You can change other people because typically a lot of, there's a mentality and a mindset with a lot of people that people don't change or people can't change and people do change and can change if they want to change. And the authors are two men, Peter Bregman and Howie Jacobson. And what's crazy. So I read this book and a lot of times if I read a book or a blog, it's something that really resonates with me and that I think is valuable. I connect with the people on LinkedIn so I can follow them and learn more about their teachings. So this guy, Howie Jacobson, who is a PhD and a co-author, so I sent him a message on LinkedIn telling him how much I like his book and I'd love to have you on I Communicate and come on the show. So he reaches back and sent me a really nice note and said, you know, I'd love to be on the show. You know, thanks for your interest. And so sure enough, I notice on LinkedIn that we have a mutual connection. 
a woman named Faith Altman. Now, Faith Altman is uh, a third cousin of mine, maybe second, but I'm pretty sure third. I never understood all that once removed business. So, but she's a cousin. Okay. I've never even met her. I mean, we've exchanged notes from time to time, but I've never even met her. And so I reach back to, to Howie and I say, hey, Howie, by the way, I see we have a mutual connection. How do you know Faith Altman? And he writes back, she's my cousin. So you want to talk about six degrees of separation in a small world. This guy, Howie Jacobson, who co-writes this book, You Can Change Other People, is distantly related to me, no less. So we end up hitting it off. He's going to be on I Communicate in the future, but just crazy um, how you make connections with people you never knew you would. So look, the premise of this book, You Can Change Other People, is understanding the psychology and factors and motivation in people changing. And it involves degrees of emotional intelligence. It degree involves degrees of conversational intelligence. But it comes back to these three challenges almost every leader I work with has in varying degrees. And the challenges are, why do I have repeated conversations with people on the same issue? Why do people agree to do things and then they don't do it and follow through? And why do people ask for help when they can simply do things themselves? So what we're going to talk about today is two major important things. One is how to get cooperation instead of compliance. When you are in an authority position, there's a hierarchy established. And if you're my boss, my parent, my coach, my teacher, and you ask me to do something, I don't really have a vote, do I? I mean, I could say no, but then how would that look? Maybe there'd be consequences for me uh, saying no. Maybe the perception of me for not being cooperative wouldn't be good. So there's a dynamic when there's an authority figure and a subordinate figure, you don't really get a vote. You're not really empowered. If someone says, we need to talk about this, you need to talk about it. If someone says, you need to do this to keep your job or to get a raise or to get a promotion, you need to do it. And so the premise of this book and one of the goals of this book is to help teach how to get people to be cooperative empowered and motivated in change as opposed to you telling them they have to change and they feel forced to change and they feel they need to change. And look, I heard this a long time ago and, and I keep, keep coming back to it. People don't resist change. People don't resist change. They resist being changed, forced to change, told they're not good enough. Because let's be honest, if you need to change, if you're told you need to change, part of the reflex reaction is, well, I guess I'm not good enough. If you're told you need some coaching, you clearly have some flaws. If you're told you need some training and development, you clearly have some flaws. And I talk a lot about communication and word choice. So think about this. If there's someone in your organization that you know could benefit from some coaching and training, 
and you're the authority and you go up to them and you have a weekly one-on-one or a performance review and say, look, I, th- I think you need some coaching in this area, in delegation, in time management, in leadership. Just that one word needs some coaching feels forced, feels like you're forced to change. But what if the leader looked at the person and said, even if you felt like they needed it, and they changed the narrative to say, you know what? You're a very valuable, loyal employee in this company, and I'd like to reward you with some professional uh, coaching and development. Would that be helpful for you? Would you be interested in that? See the difference? I think you need some coaching. I think it's time to look for some training on these skill areas, as opposed to, you deserve it. You're worth it. Would you be interested in it? It just changes the whole narrative and how the receiver of that information hears it. And that's communication in a nutshell. You know? What you say, how you say it, how the receiver perceives it, all critical aspects of communication. So, think about this. It's a lot of work to change. That's why I started the show. There's a lot of things to be mindful of. And here's what I know about change. In all the years I've been doing the consulting, coaching, and training around these things, you've got to want it. You've got to recognize the need for it. You've got to know the benefits of it. And you have to be motivated to do it. And you know what else? You have to believe it can help. I mean, those are all critical aspects to change. So when we come back from our first break, we're going to get into the first step in paving the way for change. So for Mark Altman, this is I Communicate. We'll be back right after this. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We are talking about change. And we were talking about, in the first segment, getting cooperation instead of forcing compliance when trying to facilitate change. And I got to tell you, I've been reflecting a lot on the pandemic habits that have been exacerbated and have been consequential in the last two years. And look, I, I I think so much gets blamed on the pandemic, and I'm not a big fan of blaming world hunger and poverty on the pandemic. I will say this, though. In the last year and a half or so, I have talked to so many leaders and employees and organizations that have gotten themselves into bad habits because of the pandemic. You know, certainly one of the things is socialization. People have become very isolated. And in a lot of cases... There are consequences to that, but in a lot of cases, people have lost the motivation and value to socialize. Um, you see a lot of habits around how people are communicating now, and they're not picking up on the phone. They're not picking the phone up. They're not having virtual communication. They're not having in-person communication because they're relying on email because it's simple and easy and convenient. So those are a couple of examples. 
The most powerful example, though, that I've seen is victimization. And what I mean by that is a lot of us feel victimized. Even before the pandemic, people felt victimized in various ways of their lives. But feeling victimized is very, is very costly. And so if you're working at an organization or an industry where you're feeling victimized, and let's, let's talk about different meanings of victimization. Victimization me- could mean you've missed out on opportunities within your company. Victimization could mean that you haven't been treated fairly by someone in your life personally or professionally. Victimization could mean someone has disappointed you or hasn't met your expectations. And it's, it's among those habits that have really been exacerbated. And so if you're going to consider changing, if you're a leader and you're trying to facilitate change, if the person you're changing feels victimized, then you have a problem. Because if you're victimized, you don't feel empowered. You feel victimized. And I recently have been studying this concept called the Karpman Drama Triangle. And it's fascinating to me because it takes the connection between personal responsibility and power in conflicts. And it talks about the destructive and shifting roles people play. So basically what the Cartman Drama Triangle talks about, it was founded by a guy named Stephen Cartman, and it involves dysfunctional relationships and social interactions. Often people play one of three roles, a victim, a rescuer, or a persecutor. And in all three of those roles, it's an ineffective and frankly all too common response to conflict. So the Cartman drama triangle, victim, rescuer, or persecutor. And notice how none of those is empowered. So what happens? So let's take a look at this for a second. Or let's take a listen. So what happens? If you're the victim, you may have a low sense of confidence and self-esteem. And you may feel manipulated. You may feel helpless. You may blame others for your misfortune. There may be a lot of complaining and whining. Hopeless and helpless. Victim. Hopeless and helpless. If you're the persecutor, right, you don't value other people's views and integrity, so you may model and show your persecution by being judgmental, aggressive, demanding, spiteful, resentful, that's the persecutor. And if you're the rescuer, then you don't necessarily value other people's capacity to help themselves, and you may be overly helpful, and you may have a need to be needed, and you may tend to overwhelm people in your effort to rescue. So why am I talking about the Cartman drama triangle? Because the idea to be emotionally intelligent is to be centered. Just like you don't want to be aggressive all the way to the right, you don't want to be passive all the way to the left, you want to be assertive in the middle. And in the drama triangle, 
what you're doing is you're refusing to be superior or inferior. If you refuse to do both, that's how you get out of the triangle. That's how you stop the drama. Because it's no more poor me. It's no more ignoring your own needs. It's no more giving in to people when it's not a good idea. That's the inferior or taking the blame. And the superior is the persecutor, being in that blame mode. So look, how do you get out of the Cartman drama triangle? You move to the center. You refuse to accept someone else's actions. You refuse to be superior or inferior. Right? You stay in the middle. You get out of victim mode. The Cartman drama triangle. Stay centered, stay in the middle, rec- recognize when you have a victim's mindset. And so I start with that because if you feel victimized, you don't feel empowered. And if you don't feel empowered, then the change that needs to happen solely relies on external forces. And that doesn't work, it takes two to tango. So if you want change, if you're motivated to change, two people have to be involved. And I want to tell you an example of this is when I hear a leader say, you know, I've talked to them three times. They must not care. This must not be a priority. That creates a victim's mindset. The leader is acting like the victim. The leader is saying, I did everything I'm supposed to do and that my team member didn't do what they're supposed to do. When in almost every case, the leader could have coached, delegated, supported, motivated, appreciated more effectively than they did. But that creates self-awareness. So when you say, I've made three efforts and the person hasn't changed, you're the victim, the person's the villain. And you can't create change when when you set up that situation in that scenario. So, like everything else, it all starts with self-awareness, emotional intelligence. You have to recognize what you're telling yourself. You have to recognize what you're telling yourself about yourself, and you have to recognize what you're telling yourself about the other person involved in the interaction. So, hence we get to the book, People can't change. So what we're going to talk about for the rest of the show is the fundamental premise that you have to get permission to help people. Because as I mentioned in the first segment, the power dynamic that's set up doesn't create psychological safety. It doesn't create voting and empowerment. Because if you're my boss, if you're my parent or coach, and you tell me I need to change or do something different or behave a certain way, I have to do that. So it's not a collaboration. There's no cooperation. You tell me what I need to do, and I need to do it. So what we're going to talk about when we come back from this break is three different scenarios and how to get permission to support and coach and develop people. One of them is when someone comes to ask you for advice. One of them is when a person asks you to do something 
that they can and should do themselves. And one of them is when someone comes to you with a complaint about someone else or something else, and it becomes a potential reverse influence, negative or toxic situation. So this this three-step process, right, is the same three-step process you can follow in all three of those situations. And there's elements of these three steps that you could follow in almost every conversation you're in. So when we come back from this break, we're going to get into scenario number one, how to get permission to help when people are asking for advice. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. You're listening to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman, and as promised, we're going to get right into how a leader or person authority can uh, facilitate cooperation and not force compliance by getting permission to help. So the scenario number one we're talking about is asking for advice. Now think about this for a second. Someone comes to you and wants advice, right? So think about this. Seems obvious. You know, the thought process is, if someone's asking me for advice, isn't that essentially giving permission? Well, maybe. Sometimes people want to be listened. Sometimes people want to be heard. Sometimes people just want to share their thoughts. They're not necessarily looking for advice. So in the situation where someone comes to ask for advice, how do you handle that? Do you just start talking and give the advice? So I'm going to give you a situation, and let's talk through it. The situation is a salesperson has been working to land a lucrative contract with a prospect. And that salesperson goes to his manager, Dorothy, for advice. And the salesperson says, Dorothy, what should I include in my presentation to the company's executive team next week? It's a big one. Now think about this. You're looking for advice. What should I include in my presentation? Now as a leader... The first thing you should be thinking about in that question is, are they unable to figure this out themselves? Because has this person never done a presentation before? Is there no aspect of a presentation that this person knows how to include? See, this is where enablement starts. And this is where I hear a lot of leaders complain about time management. And they'll say, oh, God, I'm constantly putting out fires and spending so many times, spending so much time with employees solving problems. And, you know, instinctively I said, why don't you teach them to solve their own problems? Because if every time you solve their problem, you're enabling a behavior, and guess what, even worse, you're creating a dependence. And then if they keep coming to you, then you say, well, why do they keep coming to me? Because you keep enabling a behavior. Look, I had an executive say to me this past week, he said, he was complaining about one of his team members that worked for him. And he said to me, it's a director level leader, and he said, you know, this guy keeps coming to me over and over and over 
And I tell them every time, you don't need to check with me. You can make this decision. You have my blessing to make this decision. And I said, so let me just get this straight. You've detected a behavior pattern, a habit, where someone doesn't feel comfortable being empowered to make a decision on their own, and you're going to solve the problem by saying, you don't need to come to me. You can just do that on your own. And I said to my client, I said, he already knew that. You giving him permission to come to you is not going to solve the problem because if someone doesn't feel comfortable making a decision on their own and feels the need to check with you over and over, the issue isn't you needed to give them permission. The issue is what's the root cause of that? Why does this person feel uncomfortable coming to you over and over to make a decision? And it could be a number of factors. It could be that he doesn't feel empowered, which my client would say, well, that's why I'm giving him permission. Fine. It also could be he's made decisions in the past and there have been the bad decisions and there have been consequences for those decisions, either from his boss or from the client or somewhere in the organization. So he feels snake bitten. So the point I'm trying to make here in the very first step of this scenario, someone comes to you to give it, get advice. I see so many leaders go into fix-it mode. They go into problem-solving mode. That's what they think coaching is. That's not coaching. And I know in their heart, they're intending to do the right thing by being supportive. But what, what's really going on here is they're showing support and they're interfering with developing the critical thinking and problem-solving skills of their team. So when someone comes to you advice, that's nice that they felt comfortable coming to you. It could even be a compliment in the fact that they came, were comfortable coming to you. But the idea is not to enable. The idea is not to solve the wrong problem. In the again, in the example I just gave, if the person keeps coming to you, you better understand what the fear is and what the root cause of that problem is. So think about this for a second. What should I include in my presentation to the executive team next week? It's a big one. How do you respond if you're the leader? Before you heard this discussion, you may have thought, he asked me for advice, so I'm going to give it to him. But that's not what I want you to do. I want you to follow a simple three-step coaching recipe that all leaders can follow in the three scenarios, first one being someone comes to you for advice. The three steps are, you ready for this? First step, lead with empathy. I got, I got great news for everybody. Lead with empathy could always be your default step in relationships and problem solving. It's never bad to be empathetic, right? Step one, lead with empathy. Step two, demonstrate your confidence in the person. Step three, ask for permission to help. So let me take you through this scenario so you can see what I'm talking about. Again, Dennis says, what should I include in my presentation next week? It's a big one. His manager, Dorothy, says, I get it. It sounds like a big one. Empathy. 
You know, you've been doing a great job so far in working with them. Confidence. Would it be helpful to think through this together? So listen to that third line, asking permission. Empathy, demonstrate confidence, ask for permission. It's very strategic. Would it be helpful to think through this together is killing two birds with one stone. It's your way of setting boundaries and being assertive to say you're not going to do it for them. And you're also asking permission to help them. Very, very critical. Now, one of the challenges when I coach leaders on this three-step recipe, empathy, instill confidence, ask permission, is they'll say, well, it's got to be authentic. And I say, I couldn't agree more. So let's look at the three steps and what gets in the way of authenticity. Well, first of all, the step one, empathetic, I'll tell you what gets in the way of empathy. There's a lot of things that get in the way of empathy, but for this specific example, you may not be inclined to be empathetic if you are prejudging the person coming to you. So for instance, if you have deemed this person lazy, unmotivated, infringing on your time, and that's why they're coming to you to tell them the answer, you may struggle to be empathetic if you've already made an assumption or a prejudgment on what their motives are. So leading with empathy, if it was only that simple, you have to manage yourself first and understand what could interfere with leading with empathy. Step two, instilling confidence. Dorothy says to Dennis, great job so far in working with them, this client. Now, I did this training yesterday, and one of the, two of the people in the training said, what if you don't have anything to compliment the person on? What if you don't have anything to say to show that you are confident in them? You know, my reaction is, I don't want you to force something if you really, in the bottom of your heart and brain, can't think of a compliment that you could tie into this conversation, that's a whole different discussion, and that's disappointing. And it's possible, okay? So, worst case scenario, if you are really struggling to give them an authentic vote of confidence, skip step two. But I encourage you to don't be lazy and skip it and not think Because when you instill confidence in a human being, it motivates them, it helps them feel recognized and appreciated, and if you have an authority, if you're an authority figure, and they have to report to you, and you demonstrate a confidence, it does increase their likelihood for being cooperative and moving forward. So, challenge with empathy, challenge with confidence. And then with asking permission, you know... The big challenge with asking permission is what happens if they pout and say, well, I don't want your help. I'll, do, I'll figure it out myself because you didn't enable them and do their work for them. So when we come back for our next segment, I'm going to address that very challenge. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back right after this. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate for our final segment of getting permission to help. 
and going from deflection to cooperation. So I promised when we come back, I would help you deal with that deflection scenario where you follow the lead with empathy, instill confidence, get permission to help. And because the person didn't get what they wanted, which was to you to do the work for them, they pout, so to speak, and they say, you know what, it's all good. I'll just figure it out myself. So the question is, what do you do in a case like that? Well, I heard some leaders tell me, they'll say, well, fine, if that's the way they look at it, then more power to them. Then they can figure it out themselves and take some initiative. I get that. But to me, in the moment when someone kind of has a pouty response and a victimized response, I would look at the person and I say, well, hang on a second. I am happy to help. Do you not want to do this together? And disrupt their thought process. Because when someone has an unmet expectation or is disappointed, they get inside their head a little bit. A good way to disrupt the thought process is to reaffirm the request and let them know you were authentic about the request and you genuinely do want to help and support them. So that's a way to overcome the obstacle. So bottom line is people struggle to ask for help. When they do ask for help, There's different motives to asking, and your job is to not do their job for them. It's to support them, but let them have a vote. Let them have the opportunity to say yes or no, so they feel like they're empowered. They have an authority. Okay? Now, let me give you one other example before we move past this. You've got another situation where Dennis says, I've just gotten a meeting with the symphony's executive team. They asked me for a custom presentation. I really want it to be perfect. Could you put something together for me? Well, in this example, it's critical because this is a person who is asking you to do something that they can and should do themselves. Is it a confidence issue? Perhaps. Is it a motivation issue? Perhaps. Is it you've set a pattern and track record of solving the problems and being a fix-it for them? Perhaps. But I want you to notice in the example I gave, it's not just that they're asking for help. It's saying that I really want to be perfect. And see, when you're listening to understand, you're picking up on the words, the tone, the body language that are coming at you. So it's not just a request for help. It's a request for perfection. So that's what you need to hear going into this. So if we're going to use our three-step formula, lead with empathy, express confidence in their ability, and offer to think through it with them, we would say, this is a big opportunity, and I really appreciate you wanting it to be perfect. Lead with empathy, and even some validation there. I also really believe in you, which is how you got this far with them and why you're the one pitching it in the first place instilled confidence. And notice in that second step of instilled confidence, there was no past example they needed to bring up. It was just saying, I believe in you. You know, there are times with my children or with clients where I I tell them I believe in them, where frankly, I might not totally 100% believe in them, but I believe in them enough so it's authentic. Maybe not 100%, but more than 50%.
So it's authentic, but the idea is that vote of confidence in that moment, I really believe in you, which is how you got this far, really carries a lot of weight with a lot of people. And then you finish with the permission, putting together these custom presentations will be really important as a skill for you to develop moving forward. Can we think through this together and how to best approach it? Again, finishing with asking permission and also reminding the why. When you say putting together these custom presentations will be important for you moving forward, this is not you just trying to avoid doing it for them. It's reinforcing for them why this is an important skill. Now, in that moment, the person says, you know what? I really don't know how to prepare the presentation. Could you just do it? So there's the pushback. There's that lack of cooperation and obstacle again. And again, you have to understand the root cause of the pushback. Is it stubbornness, laziness, or infringing on your time? Or is it confidency, a lack of comfort when you're working by yourself, or not wanting to disappoint? Could be combination of some or all of those, but the point is, it's not necessarily a negative intention when they push back. And you as the leader, if you jump to conclusions and assume they're just trying to get out of something or just trying to force something on you, you may be missing the point. And then from an emotional intelligence perspective, you feel like, hey, I did the right thing. I led with empathy. I instilled confidence. I asked for permission and they're still not cooperating. Well, if they don't cooperate, that doesn't give you permission to go on a different tangent. You just simply reaffirm what you say. So if they say, I really don't know how to prepare the presentation, could you just do it? You respond and you say, I know it's new for you. Can we think about it together? So once again, you validate and empathize and you ask for permission again. And that's that deflection piece. And that's where I want to end the show today. That's this deflection piece that people struggle with so much. It's like, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to treat people the way I want them to be treated, the way they deserve to be treated. I'm going to be self-aware of my words and my tone and my body language. I'm going to stay calm and keep my, man, keep my emotions in check throughout this conversation. But see, once the deflection comes, once the excuse, the obstacle, the irrational logic comes into play, and that deflection comes, leaders get flustered. And then once the deflection comes, it becomes about the deflection and not the issue at hand. It's a big deal. You have to stay the course. You have to remember what your outcome was for the conversation. And the outcome isn't to take the bait. So when people give excuses or deflect from what you're trying to accomplish, don't make it about that. Look, I started the show today talking about self-awareness and mindfulness being work. And it is work. But are your people worth it? You know, why did you choose to become a leader in the first place? No one had a gun to your head. 
You either was hire, you were either hired as a leader or you were given the opportunity due to good work to be a leader. If you don't want the responsibility, step down. Your job as a leader is to motivate, coach, develop, inspire people. That's what leaders do. You model behavior. You lead by example with your words, with your actions, with emotional intelligence, with detail-oriented communication. That's your job as a leader. So, is it a lot of work? Yes. The question is, is the work worth it? Is the ability to lift people up and coach people to a higher level worth the work? That's the million-dollar question. And so when I think about what I said in the beginning of the show, and I said, well, God, parenting, you know, being mindful of the example I'm setting for my kids and making enough quality time with my kids and, you know, having critical conversations so they feel heard and validated and loved and supported. Yeah, it's a commitment. And what an opportunity that is to be a parent. What an absolute opportunity that is to have that commitment. And so I, I, I feel like I'm lucky to have that opportunity. So remember, final thought for today, three steps. This is the recipe for effective communication. People ask for advice. People want you to do their work for them. This is what I want you to think about. Number one, lead with empathy. Number two, instill confidence. Tell them why you're confident in them to do what they may not be confident to do. And number three, to get cooperation, give people an empowered vote, ask for permission, and don't require compliance. That's all for this episode of I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. For more information about Mindset Go, it's info at mindsetgo.com, or you can call 978-793-1159. Ted, thank you so much for everything you do. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.